0: This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, our podcast, Spirit Matters. Find us at spiritmatterstalk.com. Uh, our guest today, Bob Roth, who currently serves as the executive director of the David Lynch Foundation, a nonprofit which has brought meditation to over 500,000 inner city youth uh, in 35 countries, to veterans, uh, to folks uh, who have been survivors of domestic violence and in uh, many segments of society. And I should say that uh, I have known Bob and so has Phil for uh, well over uh, 40 years. And, uh, Bob, thank you so very much. It's a pleasure to have you uh, come on the show.
1: It's wonderful be, to be on your show, and it's always wonderful to hear those words. We've known each other for over 40 <laughs> years. We <laughs> met. It met. Just, just surreal. We, so we, surreal. We, so we, surreal.
2: We, we met Oh, my school. God. Yeah. All right. In the interest of full disclosure, it's probably closer to 45 and uh, or more, but um, that will not stop us.
1: No, we're going to power on.
2: We might have a little bit more fun than we usually do, though. So, Bob, uh, maybe the first thing we could do for our listeners is uh, to have you um, give us an overview of what the David Lynch Foundation does and um, the type of meditation that you teach and how how it's uh, distinctive.
1: Sure. The The David Lynch Foundation was established almost 11 years ago by the great filmmaker David Lynch of Twin Peaks and Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet fame. And David had been meditating for, at the time, about 30 years as I practicing something called Transcendental Meditation, or TM, and David and I became friends, and we talked about raising the funds so that we could bring meditation instruction to at-risk inner-city school kids. Um, way back when, when I was a college student at the University of California at Berkeley in the late 60s and early 70s, I had uh, shifted my major to be uh, towards getting a... I wanted to get a doctorate in educational curriculum, develop educational curriculum. So you could start empowering youth at an early age, even at that age, you know, to to become more self-sufficient to just to, I mean, that sounds ridiculous for a kindergartner, but you can start at an early age um, preparing a a young person to grow into an integrated, healthy adulthood. And along the way, uh, I had learned PM. And it had been a long desire of mine that I would like to bring this to inner-city school kids because I felt they were a portion of the population that were just sort of forgotten by government and, you know, the powers that be. So fast forward to 11 years ago, and I'd been teaching TM for over 35 years, and David and I got together and I said, you know, we should start a foundation in your name and uh, raise the funds to bring this to kids. And he said, great. We didn't know what a 501c3 was, which is the legal name of the nonprofit we just started. And it has grown over over 10 or 11 years to what you just said, half a million inner city school kids and veterans and women who are survivors of domestic violence. And the common theme, the mission of the foundation is to address the epidemic of trauma and toxic stress, which really pervades all of society, but really hits Um, underserved, vulnerable, at-risk adults and youth, and so that's what we do.
0: Mm -hmm. Bob, uh, what's the relationship of the David Lynch Foundation to the larger Transcendental Meditation Movement?
1: The larger Transcendental Meditation Movement was established by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, which, um, um, Phil, you have written about often and beautifully, uh, was established 56, 57 years ago to teach transcendental meditation to the world. And there are nonprofit organizations established in just about every country. David Lynch Foundation is its own 501c3, and its purpose was to raise the funds so that we could, uh, contract with teachers of TM through the TM organization and then bring TM to kids in inner city schools at no cost or veterans and their families at no cost or we're in prisons and we're on American Indian reservations. Deeply fulfilling for me to to be able to be part of something that's helping so many people who would never have an opportunity maybe even have heard of meditation, much less have the opportunity to learn and to see them benefit so dramatically and, and immediately is very satisfying.
2: Um, Bobby you have done or research has been done on some of the projects uh, that the David Lynch Foundation is sponsoring. Can you give us a little uh, um, insight into some of the work that's been done, some of the findings?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, backstory: in the last 40 plus years, there have been over 370, 370 um, peer-reviewed studies published in top scientific journals including the American Medical Association's journal archives of internal medicine and the American Heart Association so there's a, a great scientific um, legacy there and the, the National Institutes of Health has funded research and, and the Defense Department of funded research so very well established David Lynch Foundation has funded research or um, raised funds for research on kids who meditate in what's called quiet time programs. And that's where the kids in, in these tough schools start and end each school day with like 10 or 15 minutes of TM. They do it voluntarily. And uh, they found really remarkable uh, transformations. There's a significant, in some cases, a 15 to 20% improvement in academic performance. There's a 70 or 80% depending upon the school, reduction in suspensions and expulsions. There's an improvement in graduation rates. And I think something that's overlooked, but I think is very important, is there's an increase in happiness and a sense of well-being among these kids starting from the ages of 11 or 12 or 13. And I thought, well, what's the relevance of that at first? And then I was told that there are um, 10 million children in America under the age of 10 who are on antidepressant medications, Mm under the age of 10. Wow. So there's an epidemic of stress and stress-related and psychological distress. So that in the area of of education, in the area of veterans and um, other first responders, there's a 40 to 50% reduction in symptoms of post-traumatic stress, and that includes uh, violent, impulsive behavior. That includes acute anxiety and chronic anxiety and depression and substance abuse and inability to sleep. Some of them, One of the biggest sources of the problems that veterans have is they can't sleep. And they they close their eyes, and it's horrible, and they can't sleep. So those are some of the research findings.
0: Mm. Bob, Bob uh, back in, in the day, back in the, the 70s... Uh, back in the day, back Dennis. Back in the day, way back. <laughs> uh, you, know, uh, you know, I was teaching courses in, in TM, and uh, uh, there were... A, the idea was always to get it into the schools. And actually, my father was a an educator in New Jersey, and he was uh, fairly instrumental in getting uh, TM into some schools back then and all. And uh, what we encountered at that time was some resistance from different religious groups and all. Uh, and uh, do you encounter that anymore, or is that something that, uh, uh, as, as uh, Phil documents in his book, meditation is much more accepted in the West now. It's much more commonplace. It's not considered something odd or unusual. Uh, is the resistance to meditation in the school much less now than it was back then?
1: Oh, much, much less. If there's any resistance, it'll be like one parent out of hundreds. Um, the, what you're referring to is a, um, a case that happened in the late 1970s where TM wasn't identified as a religion, but a course that was that TM was part of um, was was labeled, uh, religious in nature by one judge, but not TM. Mm-hmm. But since then, there's been hundreds of research studies that have been published in all these top journals. As I said, TM has been you know, funded by government programs. And there's just more information and knowledge and more experience, and people know that uh, just because something had its roots in ancient Eastern tradition doesn't mean it's religious. Maybe there's a cultural um, can consideration, but, you know, Einstein was a German Jew. It doesn't make the theory of relativity German or Jewish. And so we just don't, we have waiting lists of schools Mm -hmm. that want transcendental meditation in um, all over the Bay Area. There's about 7,000 kids now who have learned TM as part of quiet time programs. Los Angeles Unified School District has uh, opened the doors to us here in New York City, we're in public and, and public schools and charter schools washington d c detroit atlanta so it's a it 's a new world I, I think the tipping point, as you say, towards meditation in general has tipped and specifically with transcendental meditation and there 's just no resistance there 's no resistance
2: very interesting because there's uh, occasionally pockets of resistance uh, to things like um, mindfulness programs and and yoga programs so i 'm guessing. Uh, you might occasionally run into them, but this doesn't sound like it's a common feature, even in public schools.
1: Well, maybe if we did this in Biloxi, yeah,
2: Mississippi, yeah, right. that
1: there would be more. But, you know, the thing is, the schools and these these schools that we're working in, they're so tough, and yeah. nothing is working. As a matter of fact, we just received a large grant from the University of Chicago, what they call the Crime Lab, mm. in in partnership with the uh, MacArthur Foundation, you know, they make these MacArthur Genius Grants, and the uh, Pritzker-Pucker Foundation, they gave us, they put out, a, there's so much youth violence in Chicago, so they said, okay, we're going to give three grants, we want all the different nonprofit profit organizations who, who have a solution to this in Chicago to submit application. So 200 different organizations submit an application to get a grant to reduce youth violence. And of those 200, three were selected and we were one of the three. And we received a $300,000 grant to teach TM in several public schools in Chicago. And the results have proven so dramatic within just the first few months that now we're talking to them about like increasing that grant to one and a half to $2 million in the next two years. Mm. So that kind of Findings, and when it comes to veterans, the Wounded Warrior Project and the the Department of Defense um, just gave uh, about two and a half million dollars for studies on the effects of TM for reducing post traumatic stress in veterans and traumatic brain injury in active duty soldiers. So I think that I think it's science, and there's people who are going to be superstitious, but anybody who's sort of rational and scientific knows. There's no belief system with TM. There's no adopting of any philosophy. It's just—it's just a technique, and that's how we teach it. And those are the responses. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and let me just follow up. And uh, I have heard um, a number of uh, testimonials from folks—you know, veterans—that uh, have uh, learned meditation, learned TM through the uh, David Lynch Foundation. And some of the stories are, are, are overwhelming. I mean, these guys come back from war and, uh, you know, they can't sleep, they can't function, they have nightmares, all sorts of things that go on. And uh, there's a variety of procedures uh, that are used to, 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 to improve their quality of life and help them adjust. Uh, and at least for a lot of the ones I've heard, uh, you know, the, you know the, the TM has had a big impact on their lives. I'd like to just maybe hear a story or two from you about uh, specific individuals you've encountered that have had uh, dramatic results.
1: Yeah, I I think that the the when you talk about transcendental meditation, you know, you can just boil it down to it gives the body a state of rest in many regards deeper than the deepest part of deep sleep. There are many different types of meditation, mindfulness approaches, you said, and there's. Vipassana and Zen meditation and these are more techniques that are cognitive processes of how to try and control the mind or witness your thoughts you know in a non-emotional way transcendental meditation it gives the mind a state of deep inner calm and along with that the body a profound state of rest and relaxation and that rest which you don't find in other techniques uh, and that's not putting down other techniques just different outcomes that deep rest allows deeply rooted stresses to be dissolved and also actually heals the traumatized brain. And I think one of the most significant uh, and immediate benefits that comes up, and I'll tell you a story, but it comes up all the time when you teach these veterans is the first day they learn when they go home, they slept through the night for the first time in often months. A veteran, they're, they're afraid of sleep, the nightmares, they can't sleep, they anesthetize themselves with alcohol or drugs to try and sleep and then they, they wake up because the horrors of their dreams. And so there was one man, who young man who came back from Afghanistan and um, he was telling me the story that he was so, he tried to commit suicide when he was in Afghanistan and he was, had a rifle in his mouth And coincidentally, serendipitously, uh, in a Jeep, another uh, Jeep drove up right next to him, and it was his commanding officer, and he was so embarrassed that he would do something like that that he slipped the rifle down and didn't commit suicide, and he kept saying, well, when I get home, I'm going to be with my family. It's going to be okay. And he got home back to uh, Nebraska, and uh, it wasn't okay. And then he got violent again and he got drunk and again he he showed um, he threatened to kill himself in front of his child his two children and he heard from Jerry Yellen who you maybe know Jerry Yellen is a World War two flying ace and a wonderful man who helped start bringing TM to uh, veterans about transcendental meditation and he started and his wife started and he said immediately what happened was first the nightmare thoughts, nightmarish thoughts that kept haunting his days and nights, like dissipated, he said, like thick fog when the sun rises. And for the first time in months, he was able to just sort of think clearly instead of just reactively. And he started sleeping better. And he said that it was like night and day, That much of a transformation. And one time I remember Maharishi was asked by a reporter that the reporter said, you know, Maharishi, you make these claims about TM like the changes are going to be so dramatic and so immediate and it just sounds ridiculous. How can you say that? You know, someone who's been suffering for a long time. And Maharishi said, you can have a room that's been in darkness for one night and you can have a room that's been in darkness for ten years. And you light a match in both rooms, and the darkness disappears just as quickly. And that's what TM does. It turns on the light within every human being.
2: Uh, Bob. <clears throat> Sometimes. Am of I the...
1: answering? Are these questions too long? Am I answering too long here?
2: No, <laughs> here my answers. No, we'll we'll edit them down to a five second each. <laughs> that's that's all <how> they're worth. <laughs> um, just to, to switch gears, you've been at this for more than forty years as a teacher of TM. Dennis yeah. and I both were tm teachers back in the seventies uh, you know and when tm was basically the only game in town and the most best-known form of meditation and uh... and we were all changing the world one mantra at a time as i used to say and so my one of my questions for you is has your perspective on teaching changed over forty some odd years now that you're uh an aging veteran, <laughs> and um, has the way you teach, has the, the language you use, has your understanding of the, the students, has it changed in any way just by virtue of having lived for 40 years since you first started teaching?
1: It's a wonderful question. I'll answer a bunch of them, and if I miss some of the points, you can come back. I marvel to this day uh, uh, May 17 1972 in Fujifonti I became a TM teacher and I've been teaching it full time and I marvel still to this day when a person comes into the room to learn to meditate and they're coming and they have such hopes and fears or skepticism or doubts or that usually they they think okay I <clears throat> I believe TM works but I just don't think I'm going to be able to do it. The same thing, you know, probably when you taught, remember people coming in and say, I, I'll be the only person who can't do it. Mm. And right. You heard that then sure. you yeah. hear it now. You yeah. hear it now. There's no difference with the, the people coming in. The only difference is there's so much more research mm. that shows that this <clears> works. And there's so much more general acceptance in society that meditation in general works, yeah. Yeah. And they've heard, they've heard good things about TM. So, when that person comes in for me to teach them one-on-one it's the same person you know from 40 years ago and i marvel to no this bob day, it's
2: their grandchild <laughs> i
1: know the grandchild <clears throat> yeah great grandchild <laughs> but the same type of person same type right, of person right. and uh, i marvel at the perfection of the steps of instruction that a person who can have their mind nervous and anxious and we're all worried and wondered and a few words and then poof, it's just like I use the, in the example, the analogy of an ocean that has waves on the surface and silent at its depth and the mind is active and nervous and that's like the thinking mind, the monkey mind, the gotta, gotta, gotta mind on the surface. But every human being has a level deep within that's already calm and you give a, you give a, a woman or a man a mantra a simple sound a couple syllables it has no meaning that's been used for thousands of years for this purpose and you'd say a few words of instruction and just and they open their eyes a few minutes later and they go i never imagined i could have had such a relaxing calming wonderful experience and it over and over and over again how has my uh teaching i'm just you know you, Put a hundred monkeys in a room with typewriters, and you know you're going to come <laughs> out with something. But. I say the same. I I have the honor of saying it that I just find that um, I have a very short attention span myself, and I like to be able to synthesize the words into fewer and fewer words. So I think the way I teach it is the same. It just makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Bob, it Bobby, makes I'm, a little more yeah. sense. I wanted to ask you. Uh, I encounter a lot of people these days that. uh, uh, have learned uh, mindfulness and uh, meditation, and I, I don't know if there are different types of mindfulness meditation and how it's categorized, or whatever. But generally, they have they have uh, pretty good, you know, they'll speak well of it, and they've done some research on it and whatnot, or quite a bit actually. Uh, when you encounter people like that that said I've done mindfulness or whatever, is your uh, recommendation that they not do that and learn TM or they learn? Yeah, you know, what? How do, how do you deal with that when that comes up? Uh, either with veterans or students or just anybody that comes in off the street to to learn TM.
1: I say that there's so much stress in the world and so much so much pressures and demands and it's getting worse and worse and worse and we always talk about people should have a toolbox of tools Mm -hmm. that they can handle stress, they can promote their health, you know how to eat properly, how to sleep better, how to handle stress and a toolbox there's lots of tools and I say fine. Mm -hmm. I talk about people who do mindfulness. As a matter of fact I have, in the context of of and maybe Phil you too and Dennis, I have been invited to speak at many conferences about transcendental meditation, and I have been trained in i've learned by the best people doing mindfulness. It has nothing to do with transcendental meditation there first of all there's not one mindfulness technique there are many, many, many approaches to mind there's mindfulness eating and mindfulness, writing and mindfulness, speaking and mindfulness, everything exercises mindfulness everything it's a it's a way of uh, emotionally disengaging and uh, and becoming present so watching those waves rise and fall on the ocean watching your anxious thoughts and it's a it's a very good shown to be from research a very can, can be a very good coping tool so in the middle of the day when things get tense you know you push your chair away from your desk at the office and you take 10 breaths or you you know you do two minutes of something it's a coping tool I say that's fine in your in your many mindfulness techniques, learn transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. It's another technique. It'll give your body profound rest. It'll give access to the source of thought, and then naturally you'll be number one more mindful and more present when you're living, going through the day. And if it's two o'clock in the afternoon and it's a rough moment, fine. Do a mindfulness. Do you know? Take some breaths or whatever. Now I, I'm not. I I think there's too much siloing. I think that every technique needs to be practiced in its own integrity. You don't mush them together, whether it's a vipassana, you know, a, a loving kindness, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, you practice them for their own integrity, and they have different outcomes. Dr. Fred Travis at Maharshi University of Management, heads up the the brain research, said it's just a matter of what outcomes you want and just what outcomes. Speaking to your it, question,
2: yeah, yes, speaking absolutely. Of, speaking of which, Bob, when we were young meditators
1: a couple years back
2: <laughs> yeah right <laughs> we gets, yeah. I, I i think i can speak for all three of us and many many of our mutual friends and that whole generation of uh baby boomers who who got involved with uh the teachings of india back in the late 60s and early 70s for us it was primarily a spiritual quest and TM, like other forms of uh, meditation and yogic teachings and practices, uh, has an ancient lineage, an ancient pedigree, um, whose context was primarily that of spiritual development and the development of consciousness and higher consciousness um, and, and the, the, that the yogis describe. Uh, since the research on TM started, in the early 70s and then developed in the ways you've described, uh, it's spoken of in highly instrumental terms as a medical intervention, as a psychiatric intervention, as uh, a practical tool for daily living and reduce stress. Do you ever miss speaking about it in um, more in the traditional spiritual terms? Question one, question two in the context of teaching people who want to reduce stress and sleep better and all that, do you find um, that they also um, grow in and, and change their perspective, their attitude, their insights into what we think of as a spiritual life?
1: this beautiful questions. Both, both you guys should have a podcast.
2: Um, <laughs> We're working on
1: it. <laughs> you should really, yeah, work on it. Come up with something, come up with a, a treatment. Um, it's interesting, you know, when, when I was thinking about this, cause you know, I'm like 65, I was at Berkeley in 1968. I, I talked to college students and first of all, they can't believe that I was there. It's like, <laughs> right. you know, they read about it or they, right. you know, right. seen videos. did you know and Mario Savio? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> actually. Um, Um, and it was a different time. You know, people were taking drugs for higher states of consciousness, Mm -hmm. the collective consciousness that, you know, tuned in to to drop out and you took all these drugs. It wasn't to get rid of stress or just to zone out. It was like for some spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. And Maharshi, when he came in those days, he was talking about transcendental meditation to our generation um, in a lot of those terms. And times change, and the messaging, uh, and... I think at any time to stay relevant, it not messaging the interest of people changes, and now the world has gotten so tense and so you know like just like a vice grip. You talk on college campuses, there's so much tension that I, I remember what Marji one time said. He said you can't talk to a person about world peace when they have a migraine headache.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I this is name dropping, but I I gave a, a, a introductory lecture to. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, and I asked her why she was interested in learning to meditate, and she said, I want to maintain permanent connection with the intelligence that runs the universe, and she paused, and, <laughs> and she, paused. No, she paused, and she said, and I can't sleep at night,
0: <laughs> and the
1: fact I of like the it. matter is, when you transcend, then you address both of those deep deep desires. Right. Now to say yes, the wonderful thing that I find is as soon as a person transcends as soon as their migraine headache is lifted, we have the most wonderful advanced lectures and res you know weekend residence courses, we go very deeply into the knowledge of higher states of consciousness or cosmic consciousness enlightenment self-realization. But the interest that people have in it is relevant to today, which is peak performance, which is thinking more clearly. They love the idea of being in tune with natural law. They love the idea of being able, like a ninja, being able to 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 work intensely, to stay alive, you know, to be successful, and inside maintain that equanimity and calm. So it's the same desire, but now it's not expressed in the language of the 60s, it's expressed in the language of today. Mm -hmm. But there's just as much interest, and in Mm -hmm. fact, I think more interest, but it's just how it's expressed. Right. And I'll conclude by saying Dr. Norman Rosenthal, who was a world renowned psychiatrist and he wrote the best selling book Transcendence, has just coming out on May 17th with a, a an update, a new book called Supermind, which is another word he said for cosmic consciousness. And he's bringing out the experiences of people who've been meditating for two years and five years and 10 years and 20 years and and longer
2: 45
1: 45 and 50 years (laughs) to to talk about those higher states of consciousness so it's coming out it's coming out
0: right one one, one thing I wanted you touched upon it uh, slightly in your last answer but one of the things i've been watching as i watch the growth of the david lynch foundation and uh and i should say to our listeners i mean i've sent people directly to bobby to learn meditation and whatnot and they always come back with a wonderful experience. and But I noticed that uh, many uh, well-known people, you mentioned Ellen DeGeneres, but Russell Simmons, who you introduced us to to have on the show, Katy Perry, Howard Stern, Jerry Seinfeld, person after person uh, that many of these celebrities you are either taught or been involved with or got to endorse uh, uh, the activities of the David Lynch Foundation. Tell us a little about that and what you see their role as being in regard to... Uh, Promoting uh, what you're doing.
1: Um, great question. Um, you know how I always these people in sort of the, whether they're in the higher echelons in business or entertainment or whatever. They don't get out much. They just talk amongst themselves, you know, because mm-hmm. they get out, they're swarmed, and you know they you get the feeling like oh. Oh, you need a cardiologist? I know a cardiologist. Oh, you need a yoga teacher? I got You want a, a vegan chef? Oh, you want to learn to meditate? Oh, you got to talk to the guy who taught me. So myself or Mario or or a few other people, we're sort of like our names get passed around among some of those people. So it's all word of mouth. Right, right. I, I, I must you know, have, I've heard
0: I, you referred to as meditation, Bob, but I think uh, David, yeah. uh, uh, David Letterman and others have...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know where that one came from. (laughs) But so, so it's just word of mouth. It's not like I'm going after anybody. And the interesting thing is, one time this one person said, well, you know, you just teach celebrities. I said, I've taught like 20. I've taught thousands of other people. You just don't hear about them. You don't hear about all these other people I'm teaching. It's just the press. So it's a word of mouth thing. And a lot of the interest, the people, I mean, some celebrities can be quite vacuous fortunately the people who get introduced to us they're genuine you know they're they're very creative and they're very intelligent and they're often very philanthropic and they're and and they wanna they love the creative process and they want to stay at the top of their game and they don't want to get stale and they want to keep creating and recreating and recreating and they love transcendental meditation for that value for that sort of access to that reservoir infinite reservoir of creativity the role that they play I, I, you know, make a point. I never ask anybody or push any of these people to do anything. I teach them or Mario Orsadi or Linda Manquis, whoever teaches them, or Lynn Kaplan or Lauren, whoever teaches, fortunate to teach these people, just like they're fortunate to teach anyone. Um, I just teach them. And they'll come to me and they'll say, how can I help? How can I give back? Mm -hmm. What can I do? And so that's how it happens. And that's the genuineness of the thing that they really want to help. They really want to give back. And I think the work of the David Lynch foundation is very inspiring to them that they can, they have different causes. Lena Dunham from girls is very active in, in uh, women's issues and Hugh Jackman with veterans and mm-hmm. different people. And so you just go where it goes, but they have a huge impact. Let's face it. People, people, All right, I'm rambling on here, but I'll say one last thing. Most people who learn to meditate, and this was true when we were all teaching back in the 70s, most people who learn to meditate learn because a friend told them about it. Remember? That was always the experience. It's not the studies. The studies reinforce, but it's not that. And a lot of these people, like Ellen DeGeneres, they're in your living room every day, so they become like a friend. And if Ellen DeGeneres or Jerry Seinfeld says, yeah, I do TM, it's not a religion, it's not a philosophy, it helps me a lot, then people feel like they've been told by their friends.
2: And you know, this is an old story, Bobby. Again,
1: I love old stories, Phil.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Old stories by old people. I was just in India, and I was in Rishikesh. I
1: followed you on on Facebook. (laughs) Everybody should follow Phil on (laughs) Facebook. He goes around the world many many times.
2: And I went to... Rishikesh, where the Beatles were with Maharishi in 1968, and everybody refers to that as the Beatles ashram. <laughs> but I know it, it's now uh, um, open for tourists. It's open for people, and it's been cleaned up, and there are signs that are very well made and very respectful. And it's not all about the Beatles. It's about TM and its effect on the world and Marishi and when it, when it was established. And it made me think, it, with relation to Dennis's question, um, the celebrity factor we can make fun of and we can be cynical about, but it has the role of people like the Beatles. Back in those days, it was extraordinary in opening up the great wisdom of India to the rest of the world, and it's probably still the case whether it's Oprah or Jerry Seinfeld or whomever. The world pays attention to those people, so I would not be um, um, embarrassed by being the celebrity TM teacher.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> however, no, I'm not, yeah. Go ahead.
2: However, I would. I'm. My question to you is. I Knowing you, I would guess it's more satisfying to teach a bunch of inner-city kids who no one will ever hear of than it is to uh, be associated with celebrity. Is that true?
1: Yeah, particularly the association part of it. Um, the, the thing is, these kids, uh, or the veteran, or the, you know, the, the child who's been a victim of abuse, there's such suffering, and they're basically discarded from you know they not covered. nobody cares about them in the press nobody cares about government nobody cares about them and the level of appreciation it just I'll, t- I'll tell you a story it's gonna take a second but I'll tell you a story in one of the in the uh, underserved schools that we urban schools that we work with um, the day at the school begins with and this story I think about it all the time and it fuels all the work that I do um, <clears throat> This school would begin first period class, the first 15 minutes was quiet time. And the whole school, all the kids in each class was, were quiet. They're sitting at their desk and then they would meditate or they had a choice. They could also nap or do silent, sustained reading, they call it. But 90 plus percent wanted to meditate. And the one teacher at this school, they had a rule that you had to be sitting in your in your chair by the time the bell rang in order to join your your fellow classmates for meditation and if you weren't yet you to wait outside and you have to meditate in the hall so this I got a call from one of the teachers that you know early afternoon he, he was very moved you know you could tell in his voice and he said I just have to tell you what happened I have this little girl 11 year old girl in my class Charlene and she came um, the bell had rung, and we were meditating and she came bursting in the door and she sat down at her desk two or three minutes late and she closed her eyes and she was breathing very heavily. And I, you know, I said, I went over and I whispered, I said, Charlene, you know, you can't do this. It's, we have this rule, this discipline, you're going to have to step outside. And she stood up and she had on a white dress and she had red paint splattered all over her dress. And the man said, you know, and I, uh, Charlene, you're going to also have to go home because you can't come to school dressed like that. And she burst into tears. And uh, it turns out she was at a bus stop standing next to her uncle. And that wasn't paint. Her her uncle was shot in a driveway shooting, and that was her uncle's blood. Mm. And Charlene had nowhere to run that was safe other than her school, and she did not want to miss quiet time. And I thought to myself, I mean, think about that. I thought to my schools, which are breeding grounds of violence, when Transcendental Meditation through the David Lynch Foundation became a sanctuary for this little girl. And I thought, how many untold millions of children experience that fear every day? And I think about that a lot. And that really is the, that is the David Lynch Foundation. And that is the most satisfying experience I could ever uh, imagine,
0: Bobby. The amazing story, and uh, one final question for me. From me, uh, I know that uh, a lot of people listening in are going to say, "Hey, I know a veteran here. I know a kid. I myself, I want to find out about how I can plug in to what the David Lynch Foundation is doing. Uh, how do they do that?"
1: They can go online to davidlynchfoundation.org. Davidlynchfoundation.org. We'll have that posted up on our
0: podcast, yeah.
1: Yeah, and on there, there's a way you can email us. I look at some of the videos that are, you know, of the different videos that are going on. You can also go to tm.org and get general information if you want to learn TM, you know, for yourself. tm.org or davidlinchfoundation.org, and then there's information there on how you can send an email to find out, get more information.
0: uh, Bobby, uh, Phil, any more points?
2: No, I think uh, we could probably talk for hours, but we should let Bobby go and uh, just say, keep up the good work, and thanks for giving us the time. Right.
1: Thank you for you. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you keep up the good work. Your podcast... No, you. No, 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 you. (laughs) No, I hear somebody... No, you. Mom, tell Phil to keep up the good work. Um no I I love what you're doing I love the podcast I people talk about it the interviews that you do and it's just we're all in this together what is that story about holding up our sticks we're all just oh, yeah. doing what we do doing the best we can and I love getting to talk with the two of you you're very dear friends and I appreciate the questions and I appreciate the opportunity
0: And and one, one final thing I'll say and that is one of the uh observations Phil and I have had and we've discussed in uh speaking with people uh who are involved in spiritual development is at a certain point uh when they after they have a certain satisfaction in their own life from their spiritual practice uh, the natural tendency is to go out and and share that and help others we, we've got people that have worked with homeless kids and and on and on and all the stuff that you're doing i think reflects that it comes from people having a deep satisfaction from their experience in meditation and wanting to go out and help those that are most vulnerable, those suffering. Uh, and uh, so very laudable, and uh, I think it's been very inspiring for Phil and I to see that.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk. And see if you can edit this thing down to the five minutes. <laughs> yeah, more. yeah,
0: five minutes. Uh, we've been speaking with <laughs> Bob Roth, Executive Director of the David Lynch Foundation. That's the David Lynch org. This is Spirit Matters Talk. Spiritmatterstalk.com is where you find us. I'm Dennis Ramundi, my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, and again, our guest today, Bob Roth, Executive Director of the David Lynch Foundation. Thank you so much, Bob, for taking the time.
1: Thank you very much. I enjoyed this very much.